Hey. So, good morning. Um, I saw Paul the short straw. Uh, it's either me or Werner, right? And he's only just finished speaking eight minutes ago, so uh, we're probably going to get a bunch of people coming in, we hope. Uh, but I'm just going to get started. So thanks to those of you who uh, did get here on time. I really appreciate you coming to, uh, to my session. Um, my name's Glenn Robinson. I work for a company called The Leading Edge Forum. Um, we'll talk about them in a minute. Uh, why am I here? So uh, just maybe a quick credentials check. I'm uh, an AWS professionally certified architect. Um, I worked at Amazon for over four and a half years, um, both helping engineering systems and working with AWS customers. Um, since then, uh, I left about two years ago and now work for the Leading Edge Forum. So who are they? We, um, we're a global research and advisory capability. We work with executives in large, organiza large organizations helping them reimagine their businesses for the 21st century. So we provide them research, and through that research, we provide them advisory services. Um, I'm an emerging technology advisor for them. Um, I run a practice called The Matrix. So The Matrix obviously conjures up images, at least I hope so, uh, from the 1999 movie of the same name of a future that's dominated by intelligent machines. Um, and just as in that movie, Morpheus uh, gave Neo a bit of a health warning. He, he allowed him the opportunity to go red pill, blue pill. Um, he gave him a choice. Um, that's the sort of approach that we take with our customers. Um, we're working with them, hopefully, to get them a better outcome uh, than Neo got eventually in the movie. So a better future in the face of the matrix. So what is it? We use the term the matrix to describe a lot of things that Werner was talking about this morning. He was talking about this future state that Amazon's sort of driving their customers towards. It's a next stage of technological innovation. Werner talked about how um, speech had sort of arrived. It was one of those facets um, that had matured. Um, there's lots of others to come um, that are going to have an absolutely demonstrable impact to our lives as individuals and also the businesses that we work for. We talk about the matrix being this capability um, that mirrors and supports a full range of human activities. Um, so it's very much something that's going to come in an amount of time. And, we're, and we track that as an organization. I track the technologies that are going to bring that to life for you. And I do that using several tools. Um, some of you may have heard of a colleague of mine. He's named Simon Wardley. Um, if you haven't, then I'd definitely recommend you look him up. He created something called Wardley Maps, which I use to track technological evolution. And we track it across these different stages from Genesis, things like quantum right now. Um, no, there's no standardization around quantum, really. It's all very new and nascent. And we don't really even really quite understand it that well. All the way to fully evolved, mature utility-type services, infrastructure service, platforms, software, those sorts of things. And then everything in between. And technologies, when they're at different stages of evolution, have a set of characteristics and a set of properties, and they're actually quite well understood. Um, evolution is a concept that, as human beings, we've been studying for many, many years, and that we can learn from, and we can apply those same principles to technology. And the ones that are having a really big impact today are these ones. The utility building blocks, uh, ISPAS, SAS, also machine intelligence, and IoT. 
And when we look across that landscape, Amazon plays very broadly, and already my slides are out of date as of the last two days. There's a ton of new services which are coming into this space at all different stages of evolution. So we see the building blocks on the right, the compute, the network, the storage, and then we see the things that are being built on them at earlier stages of evolution. We see things like IoT um, managing devices. We're going to see things like green grass. We've just seen that mature over the last couple of days with things like machine intelligence start to become embedded in those edge devices. Things like Macy really captured my imagination when uh, Amazon launched that. That, that. that was a very nascent service, a very practical use of machine intelligence. I mean, I look at that, and we look at that evolution of a service like Macy. In the future, I see things like compliance as a service. I see governments and businesses managing their organizations through the use of machine intelligence as that automation is able to identify the different types of data um, and then apply policies and controls to it. So with that framework in mind, um, I've just embarked and completed a piece of research that's over about the last seven to nine months, um, which we called the renaissance of the IT organization. So we were looking at these different types of technologies, looking at how they evolve with, with the frameworks and understanding that we have of, of how evolution works. And we're looking at the impact of that on the IT organization itself and what that means for them. And we only actually named the report very recently, just before we published it, because it was like the, the big observation that we made right at the end, that the IT organization is about to go through a complete rebirth because of technology. It's going to look fundamentally different, and we're going to look at some aspects of that. And the contributors to this research um, were very broad. Here's a very small selection of them, um, the ones that, in fact, allowed us to use their logos, which we're very thankful for. Um, we, we interviewed over 50 executives from a range of different organizations, and as you can see here, there's large global uh, manufacturers, consumer goods companies, government uh, uh, agencies. So a really broad spectrum, and those organizations themselves are, on, are at different stages of their own evolution of their organization and their maturity and their ability to consume uh, matrix-type services. So to do that effectively, we built a framework, a simple framework to start chunking things up. And when we interviewed those 50 customers, plus all the other field research that we did, we identified characteristics which we were able to categorize into three layers. When things uh, evolve, operating models change. When things evolve, cultures change. And when things evolve, practices, the way we do things change. And again, Werner talked about a lot of that this morning, the, the, the invent of serverless is causing us to think about how we architect and design our applications very, very differently. So as we went through and identified the characteristics of these eras that IT is moving through, we're able to look at enterprise IT. This is very much the world we've come from. It's still very present today, and it's very, very well understood. We saw IT organizations which were split up functionally. We have compute teams, storage teams, network teams, development teams, engineering, ops, very, very traditional, all lined up, hierarchical, sits under a CIO normally. We see they're, they're heavily using outsourced third-party suppliers. Um, they have an operating model, which is pretty much a one-size-fits-all, and that operating model will be um, designed and built to, be, uh, to meet the needs of the organization. So if they're very risk-averse, if they're in sort of financial services, as an example, then a lot of the business process 
will be built around risk management. And that business process will be applied across the entire organization. They'd be thinking inside out, and we use that term a lot in the Leading Edge Forum. Um, we talk about organizations that put their arms around the business. Um, they're looking at all their assets, they, they put their arms around it, they don't really want to allow people to get access to it, they put their arms around people in their organization, it's very internally focused. They have things like shadow IT, um, this is the CIO playing whack-a-mole every time innovation starts sort of cropping up because they see that as risk and they're trying to stifle that innovation in their, in their business because it's uncontrolled. And we see very traditional practices, things like waterfall, ITIL for change management, incident management. We've seen M plus one architectures, so if you build one over here, you just build another one over here for twice the cost. Large monoliths, off-the-shelf software, and a fixation with data centers. So they were like characteristics that again and again and again uh, we identified, and many of the respondents to our, our research said that's exactly how my organization looks today. Then we saw, then we started to see the impact of the cloud IT era. What's that meant for these organizations? And we started to see a different set of characteristics come through. We start to see the actual IT team themselves start to merge with the business. We start to see this concept of business technology. So it's moving out of these functionally aligned, structured, hierarchical group of an IT organization into technical capability living in the organization. They've moved from this supplier relationship that they're, where they're working with suppliers and they're holding them to SLAs and the suppliers are holding them to a contract, feels like a hate-hate relationship, to suddenly trying to work out ways to work in partnership, mutually beneficial relationships, working with third parties for mutually beneficial outcomes. And they still have very much a lot of enterprise IT in their organization. You can't get rid of that overnight. So it's very much present. But they start to see more dynamic and additional incremental operating models spin up in their business to manage those aspects better. And we're going to talk about that in a bit more detail, because that was the real big area of interest for our customers. Um, they're moving from inside out, that I described earlier, to outside in. They're starting to open up. They're using cloud services like AWS, things that are outside of their business. They're using open source technologies. They're employing open standards. They're thinking about how to open data. They're starting to think about how they can tap into talent that lives outside of their business. It's not about what resources we have or can get for a third party. It's about how we build communities and allow third parties to contribute what we do, maybe through the use of open source. These teams are becoming more empowered and autonomous. They're able just to start getting on with the work. The business is starting to get out of their way. Where they used to manage risk, they're now allowing those teams to take responsibility for that risk. We've seen the concepts of things like center of excellences come up. Um, I've seen a few presentations this week on COE. An observation there is a lot of them look quite different. And I don't think that's matured. It hasn't evolved and there's not a standardized approach to that yet. And we've seen practices like DevOps, Agile, Lean, design for failure, distributed architectures. And we've seen the use of public and private cloud mixes. So understanding technical evolution allowed us to start forecasting what the impact's gonna be in the future as this matrix world that we move towards becomes manifested more and more. What does that mean for the IT organization today? Well, we see technology ultimately dispersing into the business. Uh, again, we're gonna to touch on several of these reasons later on. Um, we see them moving from these 
strong partnerships to work in very, very complex ecosystems. This is organizations that are now part of a very large, dynamic uh, ecosystem and value chain. They understand those value chains. They understand they can be replaced quite easily by other players in that field. They understand they can become disintermediated. So understanding that those ecosystems and managing those ecosystems is new sets of skills and capabilities that organizations need. And the ones that we observe to are moving towards this matrix era have got those capabilities. They're thinking about these types of problems. They have contextual processes and structures around teams. So rather than a one-size-fits-all model now, all these small teams that they have in their organization have just the right business process wrapped around them to allow them to get on and do their job. They're very much outside in. Most of the stuff we did before has left the business. Organizations like Amazon have taken a lot of that heavy lifting away from us. These teams are empowered. We're hearing terms like psychological safety. Um, that, that's a term to describe the ability to allow um, people within the business to operate without fear, without the fear of blame, um, to be able to go and think and fail and then learn from that and then constantly improve. We still saw a lot of finger pointing and a lot of negative accountability in these enterprise IT era firms. And we see innovation occur everywhere in these businesses. It doesn't just happen in a lab or a research center or in a small little DevOps team. Innovation is occurring at all levels in these businesses, which is really hard to do, but they're able to crack that. And they're applying the right methods. So when we look at practices like Agile, Lean, Waterfall, all of those were still present in these organizations. Um, but they were applying the right method, the right practices to the task at hand. And it's very much about public cloud. Um, no one I spoke to said they're about to go out and buy a new colo, buy a new data center. They weren't thinking about buying in fixed assets. They were all the things they've just worked very hard to resolve and remove from their business. So as we saw these organizations go, on, uh, go through these evolutions, at the end of the research, we were able to identify um, a series of stages. We had three stages that we identified they could move through. Um, from these stages, I mentioned my colleague Simon Wardley earlier, um, the research that he's done on evolution, we're able to map a lot of what they were doing to things that he's observed through his research as well. I'm just gonna call out some aspects of that today for you. So stage one um, is a really, really important uh, uh, part of the process. It's about getting your house in order. So it asks some really basic questions of the business. It asks them about user needs, and again, we're talking about value chains here. Do you understand where your organization and your services and your products and your people sit in a very complicated value chain of providing your users services and value? Do you understand the risk of where you sit in that value chain to your business? And again, they use things like the Wardley maps, the, the, the axes I showed you earlier, to plot where they are on that value chain, the dependencies their business has, and how, uh, through risk, disintermediation, and other organizations could disrupt that value chain. So creating that situational awareness of their organizations was something that we saw generally quite lacking. And it would be people like me that could go in and tell them, well, did you know you're about to be disintermediated? There's this new technology, this new capability, these new organizations are going to come out of nowhere, and they're going to eat your breakfast. There's a lot of that situational awareness missing. The next one was bias and duplication. Um, again, talking to these companies, uh, if we start with bias, um, we, we, we start to map components. We, we look at the user needs, and underneath that, you build a, a string uh, of components in that value chain. So the applications, the infrastructure, the third parties you need to deliver that service. 
And some of those, there'd be custom building and engineering internally, and some of those would be outsourcing to third parties and using services like AWS. And some of those custom built components, you'd ask them a question, well, why, why are you building that in-house? I say, oh, you know, we're, we're special. You say, really? Because a lot of the time when you look and squint at some of those uh, components, that there's readily available third-party uh, third products or third-party services that you can get which remove all that operational overhead and, and simplify that somewhat. What we found, though, is that the people making the decisions on what they're going to custom build or they're going to consume as services weren't the people that understood the constraints and the conditions that the business is operating under, so they weren't making well-informed decisions. So again, the, the, by, by creating this situational awareness and visualizing these value chains, they're able to take their services, their applications and products around the business. They're able to get their chief compliance officer to take a look. He said, hi, do you know what? The standards have changed. We, don't no, longer, we no longer are special in this space. There's, there's readily available third-party services that will help us meet that need. So you can use more efficient components in your value chain. Duplication, um, I had a conversation with one technology leader and I asked him, how many uh, collaboration tools do you use? And he said to me, all of them. And I sort of thought, well, that, that's sort of indicative of where we are right now, especially in the collaboration space. There's so many to choose from and so many different parts of his organization were co all consuming different ones that the net result of that is almost no one was collaborating. The collaboration was happening in very small, specific areas. There's no group-wide collaboration. Um, so standardization in spaces like that was quite important to drive some of the strategic initiatives of the business. And last, and, and I feel a really important area, is what I call uh, climactic conditions. So just as when you would climb a mountain or, or go adventuring, you would choose a specific route based on the weather conditions um, of the region you're traveling through. When businesses are making decisions, they're also subjected to all manner of climatic conditions, and they're contextual to your business and possibly even the part of the business that you work in. So they're unique to you. There are some general climatic conditions. So right now in the UK, we're having lots of fun with Brexit. And that's something that across Europe and in the UK, we're all having to understand how that's going to impact our organizations and how we need to respond to that. The same with GDPR. But once you move those global climatic conditions, there's a lot that's just going to be impacting your business. It's going to be things like, what sort of contracts have you got in place with third-party providers? How does that constrain your organization to make a decision to move out of a data center and support your applications to AWS, as an example? If you've got a long-term contract, or you've got a lot of fixed depreciating assets that haven't depreciated yet, they're going to constrain that decision for you to better be more agile and make better decisions. So understanding that, that those climatic conditions and that context allows you to make some very, very important decisions on how to move your business forward. Another thing we observed was that with some organizations, and that they're ones that today are doing incredibly successfully, they didn't start here. But what we found is that it was like a yo-yo. They moved on to the next stage, and they suddenly found, because they hadn't dealt with a lot of the things we've just described, they didn't have their climatic conditions, they didn't have their situational awareness, they were unable to make significant progress in the actual change and transformation agenda in their business. They had to go and deal with, it's, it's like technical debt, they had to go and get that out of the way to be able to move on. This stuff's like a boat anchor to most organizations. So they learned a lot from that, and I think we can all learn from that. So then stage two is about reshaping the business, uh, what we call getting ready for constant evolution. And an interesting point I was just going to call out uh, for today um, was around these four different routes that we identified. 
So we saw four common patterns when people were consuming cloud services like AWS. Um, and it sort of surprised me. I thought there was going to be a lot more granularity in the way people are consuming cloud. But actually, it was a lot more simpler than I could ever imagine. That there was two key tenets that come out of this. The first one being unlock innovation. With the technology leaders that I spoke to, the thing they all agreed on that they needed to achieve through this transformation was to get innovation going in the business. It hadn't really existed before, or it was stifled, or it was slow, or it was costly. And they did that by creating fast learning opportunities, and they did that through going through one of these four routes. The first route was almost the default. This is where everyone seemed to start, the single technology vendor, AWS. They created a vast amount of simplification. They use Amazon. Um, they, they allow their teams just to go and get started. This was definitely, um, across the board, the most popular route. It was the one that uh, everyone started with, a real low amount of operational overhead, lots of agility, lots of learning opportunities very early on. Of course, there was a distinct lack of controls, a distinct lack of governance around, that, around this route, meaning these organizations were exposed to risk. So then we saw route two, and we saw this in, a, in a particular types of organizations, and these are the ones with the climactic conditions where they're very much impacted by compliance or regulatory controls. So they can't afford people in their businesses just to run off and start consuming AWS of a credit card. They wanted to control the way they consume that technology. They wanted financial visibility. They wanted the, the ability to monitor um, the utilization of that platform, to, to monitor and control software licensing in that environment, all those sorts of things. So they funneled it all to the middle. And they create these abstraction platforms in front of environments like AWS. These organizations almost also have climatic conditions where they have to sweat more of their assets. They were more focused around those physical capital assets they've got, and they have to monetize that. They couldn't just write that off, and admittedly, that's a really difficult thing for any organization to do if they've made recent investments. So they needed a platform that allowed them to distribute those workloads over multiple environments, both over the public cloud environments, but also to make sure they can still monetize and utilize the environments in their data centers today. Route 3 was the, was the light version of that, and we saw that a couple of years ago. The guys at um, Johnson & Johnson presented um, here, and they talked about Xbot. And uh, I thought that was really cool. It was, it was their attempt to not get in front of the teams. It was their attempt to sort of say, hey, if we're going to go with Amazon, which they are, as they use a single technology uh, route to start with, we're going to allow the teams just to get going, and we're going to build an automated robot to go in and audit that environment continually. So the only requirement is, is then to give us a set of keys for us to be able to access the account, and we're going to scan through the metadata, and we're going to continually build policies to go in and check those environments against a set of controls that we put organizationally in place that we're, that we're really hard about ensuring are in place. So that was a really agile model. Again, th those climatic conditions were organizations that were able to move fast. Um, there is elements of risk here. Um, as new services, as Amazon brought out new services, the developers were enabled just to go and consume those services. The team that manages the export or the robot will always be behind in terms of integrating and how to audit those environments. So there's an element of risk that some organizations were not happy with in taking an approach like this because it's very much behind the curve rather than in front of the curve. And the last one, as I mentioned, was um, cloud center of excellence. So this is one that eventually we saw as, as they were going through these different routes and different, different, uh, different ways to consume and integrate with cloud. 
we saw these cloud center of excellences appear. They went through stages of evolution themselves. Um, they start with some developer resources, some smart guys who go and get on with the work in, in hand. We've seen them evolved over time. We're starting to see some degree of standardization around these center of excellences. I say for me, um, there's lots of talks about center of excellences. So I'm not going to talk about that in detail today, but there was two interesting, um, area, or interesting areas for me. I saw two new roles start to appear. Um, in these center of excellences. The first one being uh, what I would call a super BRM. So business relationship managers exist in organizations today and they're managing third-party contracts, they're managing telco and print and data center, those sorts of things. We saw this new type of business relationship manager appear who understands cloud contracts, cloud SLAs. They look very, very different, right? You get, you get a PDF from Amazon, you can't go and redline it, you can't give it to your legal team. That understanding of those was really important to these organizations because the organization is taking a different degree of risk than they would have done traditionally. And we weren't seeing the evolution of the BRM role until we started bumping into these more evolved organizations with these super BRMs. The other role that was really interesting was something that we call benefits realization. I don't think there's actually a term for the role uh, that's being done today. But these are organizations that understand the net benefit that's coming very much in the future that the innovation that you drive today is gonna deliver. So this isn't program management. This isn't running a program by cost and immediate benefit or return on investment. It's very much focused on future value, understanding that future value uh, and ensuring the project stays aligned to delivering that future value. So very, very different set of principles. It's a whole subject matter on its own. So stage three, when we saw organizations go through and, and change shape and evolve in these ways, we saw them uh, to start having more distinct characteristics and properties that were massively useful for these organizations. Um, when you have that situational awareness and you create those maps, for example, you can start to understand where those threats are gonna come from. And there's some very predictable threats as other organizations evolve, as technologies evolve. There was also very unpredictable threats, stuff you just can't see coming. Your crystal ball uh, doesn't have the power to do that. But by reshaping your business and enabling that agility and removing a lot of those constraints and understanding your climatic conditions, when those unexpected disruptions came, these businesses were a lot more enabled to deal with them. These, this concept of an ecosystem is sort of paramount to success for these organizations. They're not just thinking about the suppliers, they're not thinking about third parties, they're not thinking about beating them up over SLAs. They're thinking about how they can build an ecosystem. They're thinking about platform plays. They're thinking about platform business model evolution now as well. Amazon's a great example, I think, of one of the world's most successful platform business models, where they give you utility component building blocks and allow everyone to build on top of those value-added services. They are building an ecosystem of third parties, which they can learn from. They understand what you want. Werner talked about that extensively this morning. They're creating all sorts of outreach programs to allow you to do more and more all the time, to learn from you so they can shape more um, focused and specific services that meet your needs. It's very customer-centric, customers love it, and it's a great business model that allows you to grow. So these organizations were adopting very, very similar strategies. Obviously, the benefit that you just pull through from these third parties like Amazon, um, you're just getting all the time. The, the, the pace of their innovation is the pace of your innovation suddenly, so you are getting innovation at all levels in your business. Um, 
you have a strategy to deal with those constraints. We, we, we call this sort of toxic or toxicity or toxic debt. The sorts of things in your organization, those contracts that just need to go and be broken up, the fixed assets in your business that might need to be written off. Um, I worked with some very, very bold CIOs who said uh, things to me like, Glenn, we're just not sentimental about the investments we make or the time that we've spent developing something. If, it's, if there's more value to be had out of net new innovation and net new technology we can tap into, we're just going to make the move to it. It will leave us a big problem. It gives the CFO a headache. Everyone feels a bit sad they just spent time developing something, but we're not sentimental about it. It's a cultural shift that we've, we've made as a business. And context-specific gameplay is something quite unique that we've identified in the, in the Leading Edge Forum. It's a series of different um, strategic opportunities that present themselves to these organizations. In the research report we've published, that there's, there's many of them listed, and they're all publicly available uh, in Simon Wardley's blogs as well. So you can read through the sorts of things that these organizations were suddenly able to do. What we did spot is um, these organizations are able to do this substantially better than any other organization that was less evolved. So operating models was one of the biggest things that when we published the research that our customers really started getting excited about because they, they kept asking, where's the, where's the playbook for this? How do I structure my business? How, how can I orient the teams? Um, how can I get them to work even more effectively? Lots of organizations um, had, had trouble that we were working with. They had their CIO essentially running business as usual, what you might call town planners. And then they had a CDO, a chief digital officer, would come in and he'd get all the sexy stuff. He'd get all the DevOps guys, all these agile projects, which was great. What we saw is two parts of the organization working in isolation. And we see a lot of conflict between those two different ways of doing things. There's no transition from one to the other. We also saw organizations that were left with a lot of technical debt. And some of the companies that are here this week who are the exemplars of what you'd think uh, mature cloud consumers are, have gone through this evolution and learned these lessons about how much technical debt you can build up if you don't have an industrialization process. So we use this framework called Pioneer Settlers Town Planners, which, is, which one thing you can use that for is to describe this process of industrialization. The pioneers are the guys in your organization, they're using agile methodologies, they're using those methods, those practices, and they're out there experimenting. Um, they're out building the things out of sellotape and bits of string, um, learning, they're failing, just like pioneers in the old, old days, that they're, they're, they're mostly unsuccessful. But every now and then, some absolute nuggets come through. The mindset and the DNA of these individuals is quite specific to that task. They want to be on the bleeding edge. They want to be out there pioneering. They don't want to take those net new objects and industrialize them. They don't want to be sat there running them. They want to go and move on to the next big thing. So that's when we see the pioneers move in. The pioneers generally observed what, the, sorry, the settlers, that the settlers would observe what the pioneers are doing. And when they see something that looks useful for the business, that they could turn into more of a product, something more standardized, um, they would apply more lean type principles. They'd take that piece of string and sellotape that the pioneers have created, the rough and ready MVP, they'd pull it into their business and start applying lean methodologies. They'd start applying standardization. There'd be more of a focus around cost. Um, efficiency, availability, reliability, durability, all those sorts of things. I start baking that in. Again, that's a very different set of skills and a very different set of mindsets that we observed in these organizations. And then lastly, there's bringing that product to full volume, to be able to service, uh, in, in our analogy, uh, an entire town. This is when things become completely ubiquitous. 
This is mass standardization. This is very much the, exactly the way that cities and towns have evolved and are built, and the same can be applied to software development processes as well. And when we, and when we ask organizations, um, that the mature organizations, we found that they had these three distinct areas and roles in their business. But they possibly couldn't tell us that we're doing pioneer settler town planner. Some of them said, well, as an example, we've got uh, special forces, we've got a police force, um, and then we've got the army. And they're the ways that we think about IT. And we had all these different analogies to describe this three sort of uh, functions within IT, or these three different mindset groups that they had in their organizations. And you don't necessarily need to do all three of these. There's some really clever plays here. We found organizations who were just focused on um, innovation. So I worked with um, actually Ocado Technology, who are a, um, a fresh produce uh, logistics company in the UK. Uh, their CTO was all about, uh, they're competing with Amazon, basically Amazon Fresh uh, in the UK. So he said, so to beat someone like Amazon, we need to be out in front in terms of product development and innovation. We need to be delivering more value to our customers. So we're going to do that by rapid delivery of net new components, net new services, and a ton of innovation. So they wanted to do all that. So they were doing pioneering, and then they were industrializing that into a model that they could deploy into their fulfillment centers. And that was around industrial machinery, robotics, drones, all that good stuff. The town planning aspect of their business, who's going to run SAP, supply chain, uh, logistics, those sorts of things, all outsourced. That, that was too much of a distraction for their business. They, they know they don't want to be town planners, so they consciously made a decision that they're only going to be in the pioneering and settling space, and when things got productized, and when they started to mature, they would shift them out to third parties and allow them to manage them. It's a different set of relationships. If I go back to the Amazon example, Amazon, for me, are very much over to the right. They're pioneers and settlers. They allow large ecosystems to foster around their organization. We go out, we grab open source tools, we run them on EC2, we develop new exciting stuff, and they learn from that, and they, and they start getting their settlers to take those systems and start evolving them into products, and eventually they'll become full-blown services and utilities. And that's the sort of process that, that we see again and again and again. It's a very, very well understood process of evolution. We saw the creation of these sort of two pizza team models as well. This is like uh, an important part of this. Uh, Amazon's quite famous for having the two pizza model. So uh, only a team will only be big enough to feed using two pizzas. So very, very small cellular-based structures. We see that um, being very, very effective operating model and organization structure when you are all about product innovation. But we also saw other operating models evolve as well. We saw organizations like mine, for example, um, who want to be customer intimate. So we'd have an operating model which was very much focused around one-to-one -one relationships with our customers. We saw other organizations who, uh, manufacturers would be a good example here, who are focused on operational excellence. So they're very much down the right-hand side here, but they have a, a, a business model and a structure that's very much focused on removing cost out of the business, and getting huge efficiency out of standardization, shared services, those sorts of things. So again, in the report, we talk about all the different operating models and when to apply them, and also the sort of stages of evolution, how to get people operating in your business, but also when you don't have to do all that work yourself, when you can leverage third parties or ecosystems to do a lot of that work for you. That's a like really smart way to work that these evolved organizations were using. 
So everything evolves all the time. Um, it's just an absolute fact. Um, we've seen this process of technology evolving again and again and again. It's very well understood and very well documented. With that, we see that driving new business model opportunities as well. Um, we see the likes of your Airbnbs and Ubers, all the big cases that we know and love, Spotify. They're all new business models that didn't really exist before that suddenly come out because of the technology innovation that happened just before them. Because of that, it drives completely new operating models. Um, again, we see these organizations have these tribes or cellular or two pizza team type structures, and we see them um, adopting pioneer, settler, town planner type uh, operating models in their business. Practices, we see the evolution from um, N plus one designs to design for failure type architectural uh, best practice. And cultures, th th this shift from, very, uh, from what we call hippo culture, the highest paid person's opinion was really where the buck stopped before and when decisions happened. And now we're seeing autonomous, empowered teams be able to make the decisions themselves in the business, a big cultural shift uh, within these organizations. So what does that mean going forward? Um, we've used quite a provocative statement, uh, there is no IT organization in the future. Um, what, what we actually mean by that is it's gonna look very, very different. And again, Werner did a great job um, of describing that this morning. The sorts of stuff that Amazon are just gonna keep doing and doing and doing that removes the need for us to do that ourselves. That's absolutely gonna be the case of evolution and the impact to the IT organizations. So what does that mean? And there's some other things bundled in here as well. The first one, we're seeing IoT is evolving rapidly and we're seeing those use cases more and more and more now starting to change the shape of the IT organization. But since ITOT, so the operational technology, the industrial tech that used to sit on um, traffic light systems, on lifts and escalators, on sensors down in wells, uh, oil wells, those sorts of things. That industrial tech was very, very specific technology that would be built very specifically for that device. It'd be integrated with SCADA systems and it would sit in the business. We're now seeing more and more of that technology just be, look very, very similar to the types of technology that the IT team have been creating for many years. And that's because the IoT is becoming more ubiquitous and the application of it and the hardware innovation around it is unlocking that capability. So what we saw in organizations that were very evolved in their IoT strategies, and that was a core focus of their business, is that all that operational technology was moving into IT. It was all just becoming technology. And these organizations didn't call themselves IT anymore. They were just business technology or just technology. So the scope suddenly got a lot broader than it's ever been. It got huge, in fact. And IoT is only going to drive more volume to the IT team. Because of that, it means that these old functionally aligned structures that, that we've seen in enterprise IT are going away. We're seeing these groups of technology capable people moving into the lines of business, moving into product lines, service lines uh, within the organization. So IT is getting very, very fragmented. Um, and it's just technology embedded in the business. We're seeing the impact of cloud. And we're gonna see more and more impact. We're gonna see the impact of machine intelligence come and take the next swipe. A whole bunch of stuff that we used to do manually before. It's gonna remove the need for roles. Just as we've seen infrastructure as a service remove the need to rack, stack, light, and provision uh, hardware. And then we've seen platform remove the need to manage operating systems and runtime environments. And now we're seeing Lambda pretty much removing the need for everything. 
Um, you're just now focused on writing code and deploying code into production. So when all that said, what was left? Uh, well, we see this concept of business technology. We're not really sure what it's going to be called, and, no, and neither were the people we discussed this with. It's just we technical capabilities now everywhere in the business. It's all over. It's not in a discrete function. What, one good news, if there's any enterprise architects in the room, is we saw this role becoming of immediate importance and in massive demand. The ability to manage this the sort of complexity that we see coming through these shifts uh, was so fundamental to these organizations. They were going through great lengths to reskill and enable the people, the enterprise architects in their business. They are really getting um, a top seat in that IT uh, department, or in that technology department. And of course, the stuff that sort of machine intelligence uh, can't take away and the things that Amazon aren't able to do yet on our behalf is, is strategy. It's the more creative side of the process. So we're seeing these empowered CIOs taking a lot of that um, and having small teams around them that are able to drive business strategy, technology strategy. So in the matrix era, it looks like this. Um, we saw the, the technology leaders of the future um, are sat on the board. Um, they are fundamental to the running of those organizations. It's not a CIO reporting to a CFO anymore or even layers less than that. Um, it's very much one of the most empowered positions in the business. We're seeing these dynamic operating models emerge in these organizations. It's just the right model for the team. The business gets out of the way. We saw a lot of use of machine intelligence um, relatively compared to the, the enterprise IT organizations that we spoke to. Um, whether it's predictive maintenance, which is a common theme for machine intelligence, but also the use for sort of how MI can be applied to security. So we've heard a lot, again, from Amazon um, in their services that are helping us to do exactly that. So that's already been commoditized to a service. They have a strategy for dealing with the legacy constraints, the toxicity that's inhibited the decision-making process on how to mature and evolve their organizations. They have strategies and they have plans and they're dealing with that. They might still have some legacy but they have a plan to deal with it. And they know when that opportunity is gonna come and when they can move on. They're consuming everything as a service. IoT is prevalent in their business and organization. Edge computing is an absolutely massive paradigm, uh, which isn't a subject for today's conversation, but it's an absolutely massive um, wave of disruption that again is gonna change um, everything I've just said again in the future. Architectural paradigms, practices, the way we work in ecosystems, all these things are going to be important, but they're going to evolve again when we really distribute applications all the way out to the edge. The use of robotics, again, the, the OT, old school tech, industrial tech, um, is sort of gone, and now it's just robotics. It's technology with our sort of software running on them. These, the, a really interesting concept that we heard from a couple of organizations, this isn't a very mature concept yet, is this idea of self-directing, self-governing teams. So when we talked about operating models in the future, uh, we heard one story where they said, well, here's a team, and they're completely self-directing and self-forming. So we, we put a problem statement out into the business, we essentially create a marketplace for a task, and then a group of people orient themselves around it who have the right skill or have the want to go and work on that project and then they're self-directing in terms of the process they're going to follow. They define their own operating model. They dictate how they're going to manage the risk. The business does none of that on their behalf. The business is completely out of the way. It's completely empowered. 
This concept of psychological safety, I've touched on a few times. Um, collaboration, big theme this morning from the keynote from Werner, um, advanced collaboration. We saw that. I, I love the peer programming model in the, in the new AWS IDE. Um, these organizations are, are fanatical about good collaboration, business collaboration, individual collaboration, and we saw a huge evolution in their approach towards collaboration. Collaboration is actually one of those things that we saw, for the most part, holding most organizations back because of the poor collaboration. We've talked about ecosystems and the, and the strengths of partnerships working in those ecosystems. Um, cultures and practices of uh, systematic learning, creating learning opportunities, but making sure everyone in your business knows it's their task and their responsibility to continually learn and better themselves. We heard about chaos engineering this morning in the keynote. That was one of the things that, that started to resonate with us a lot. In these organizations, they're creating situations where the organization is constantly learning and the individuals are constantly learning and improving as well. We talked about uh, benefits realization and the concept of super BRMs, a couple of new roles that we saw emerge along with enterprise architecture, which is definitely on its way up, um, and the use of open. So that's what we think um, IT is going to evolve to through this well-understood process of evolution in the future. We can't say when. There's a lot of dependencies on the technology needing to evolve um, to drive this outcome, but, we, but we're very confident that this is the direction it's going to go. So, it seems like I'm somehow perfectly on time, so I'm going to throw it open, open to some Q&A. Um, we've got two people at the back uh, with microphones, so if you do have a question, uh, we'd just appreciate if you could wait for them uh, to get to you before you ask your question, but if anyone would like to ask any questions about any of that, then please feel free. No one's brave enough. Well, look, um, me and my colleague Ibrahim, who's sat just here, who's one of these super BRMs I talked about earlier, are going to hang out in this room a bit. Um, we'd like to thank DXC Technology for sponsoring um, the session today. And again, I'd like to thank all of you for, for attending. So uh, thanks for your time. <laughs>